0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here. Joining me from Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are we doing in Buffalo, New York? We're doing cold and not cold, but rainy. It's rainy and disgusting out.
0: How's it in Madrid? Well, we're boiling hot. As you know, we're recording here. I got my guns out. You know, It's yeah, you got the tank gonna, top rocking. Yeah, it's going to be about a hundred
1: degrees today. So Ooh. yeah, it's it's been summer has officially begun for sure. Yeah, we're actually we're still waiting on it here in Buffalo, but it's going to really hit hard in July and August. I can I can tell right now, but the humidity is high, but the heat is low.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing here. I don't have air conditioning, so I've been like I've been telling you before. Got fans, lots of water, and just trying to stay cool, stay in the shade.
1: Yeah, stay cool. So do you know what's going on with uh, FC Barcelona right now? I have been following them on Twitter. Um, what do they have to you know, say they, on Twitter?
0: They do have a Twitter account that they keep quite current. Um, I'm Sure. It looks like that Arthur is actually going to be coming this summer as opposed to December, which I am super excited about, if this is true, Brian, if well, this is know,
1: true. Yeah, I saw that report. Uh, I saw one in Sport Magazine, um, but the club haven't announced that as of yet. But, yeah, there there have been reports over the last few days that, that Barca and Gremio had actually reached a deal to bring in Arthur this summer rather than next January. So that is exciting. Uh, but here's the other sort of fallout topic that comes from that. His arrival would take one of only three non-EU spots in the squad, and our current non-EU players are Paulinho, Coutinho, and Yerimina. Coutinho is looking to get Portuguese citizenship through his wife, but I haven't seen any updates on that yet and don't know where that's going. So it looks like if that deal goes through, or even even in January, the same problem arises, right? That's pretty much going to ice out Yerimina, right? Because, of course, we're not going to let Coutinho go anywhere. And Valverde seems to have a strong preference for Paulinho.
0: So I have a question for you. Is this non-EU uh roster spot? Is this a FC Barcelona thing or is this a La Liga thing? It's a La Liga thing. Ah, okay. Okay. Isn't that kind of weird? You would think why, who cares? Why does that <laughs> the? I mean I mean I mean I can understand back in the day when they were trying to promote Spanish more Spanish players and so forth, but this non-EU, I think it's, you know, soccer's global now, you know, you try to get the best players for your league and this seems very, you know, I don't know, very trite, you know, with three spots, you know, they should definitely adapt that. I understand why, you know, they want to just have more um, Spanish players, you know, coming through the ranks, but I think, you know, you're not going to see a team like for example, um, Ibar trying to get, you know, 16 different South American players. They're going to continue to get their players homegrown from Spain. So I think, obviously Real Madrid and Spain are not going to go either the other way too. And they're not going to try to sign eight, you know what I'm saying? But just have it open. I mean, who cares if it's three or four, who cares?
1: I don't, I don't care. I don't think, but (laughs) then again, I don't know what it would look like if that regulation were lifted. Yeah. It would become a little bit strange. I mean, it could potentially happen that if they lift that, then you could have Real Madrid, Barcelona entirely uh, manned by, non-EU, not not just non-Spanish players, but non-EU players, and I I think that there is some weird kind of, uh, you know, localism or nationalism going on with that, but then again, it's non-EU, so you know you've got Portuguese, French, yeah, whatever. They can all play at Barcelona. That's not a problem. So it's like it's so continental. It's like colonialism in a weird way. Yeah, but that's the thing is that I just I just don't see, for example,
0: even Real Madrid or Barcelona just signing all these non-EU players. You know, all the best players for the most part are EU players, right? So that doesn't really affect them. I'm just saying, it just gives one more spot. For example, this with this uh, arthur issue you don't have to worry about doing anything with yuri Minha. you can still keep them you don't have to you know try to have Coutinho find a portuguese wife you know all this stuff with <laughs> you well, know going no i know his i know his wife is portuguese yes I, I know i know this but i'm just saying like you have to go through these back channels to create this spot for arthur you know what i'm saying that's Who... a very
1: specific dating uh, online dating profile <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Philippe,
0: (laughs) looking for a a European wife. (laughs) Yes, you can join me in Barcelona Yeah, a nice life, you know. I have a very nice house.
1: (laughs) I just need your EU visa, you know. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, but I, I I I see your point entirely. There's I don't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially like you're saying now with the, you know, the sort of the market being the way it is. But as you've mentioned many times, and as we've observed, you know La Liga is not the most progressive league or entity. I mean, so what's going to happen with this, right? So Yuri Mina
0: comes for this. You know, he's been here for the last six months, and let's say if Coutinho's paperwork doesn't go through. Then obviously, Yorimina is the odd man out. And then what does he go? He gets loaned out? Or does he get, you know, what happens to him? And for me, I would like to see him develop a little bit more with the FCB this summer and also, you know, try to get some more playing time with this year under PK, the tutelage under PK and and so forth. But
1: yeah, I um, I don't know. It's, we need to get, here's what it is we'll put Yorimina out on loan if they can't get Coutinho an EU citizenship. Meanwhile, that's the thing we got to get Yerimina a nice European wife.
0: Yeah, there you go. Maybe we should put a, an ad out on our website, be like, uh, "Looking for an EU
1: wife for Yerimina." To yeah, stay, exactly. To become a EU citizen. What if polygamy was legal in your in Europe? Then you could just have some woman who works for the club just Correct. marry all their non-EU players. Correct. There you go.
0: <laughs> That's, that's a good strategy. I was just thinking that. I was like, maybe like the secretary to the traveling secretary could um, marry Yuri Mina, and then there you go. That's just easy. And they so. just all
1: live in one big house together. Correct. <laughs> Reality show. Oh. Boom. Done. <laughs> Man. Barca TV just stepped up its game. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that. So yeah, we'll see We'll see what happens with that. Uh, I think probably my prediction, because that's it's important that we make predictions here. My prediction is that Coutinho is going to get his uh, Portuguese citizenship worked out, and then Arthur will come in. It won't have to go anywhere. That's what I think.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I think, you know, obviously with Barcelona's um, ability to get things done, you know, in the back channels of the uh, visa process and so forth, I think that's going to ultimately happen. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that... Coutinho's paperwork is going to go through, Yermin is going to stay, and then we'll be able to bring Arthur this summer. I think it's very vital that Arthur comes this summer just for, you know, just getting used to the the atmosphere of the team, um, the training. Obviously, just it'll, he'll have a better season. He'll be able to add more if we have injuries. Um, And also, if you want to play Copa del Rey earlier, we can use him as well.
1: Now, what do you know about Arthur? What does he bring to the table? Um, creativity,
0: you know, as a midfielder, he's able to also possess as well. I just think that he has a lot of potential as a as a center mid, right? So, just someone that can really control the ma- the game. And I think if he comes in December, it's going to be asking him too much, right? But I think you know, with his preseason, to get completely acclimated with with his other teammates, I think it'll just be an easier transition. Like I said. Um Valverde could use him for Copa del Rey matches in October, and where he has no pressure on him, you know, and he can just really find his his footing and then hopefully get some more playing time uh when when games actually matter,
1: yeah and I you know creativity is very important especially to us, and I think also he's very good with crafts <laughs> is he really no is i don't, really? know. I don't I, know but I'm just a, thinking like a, that that creativity you know he's like yeah, very yeah. good with uh you know ceramics he can yeah he has he has a killer Pinterest page. Oh man. Have you seen <laughs> Arthur's Pinterest page? It's off the hook. But yeah, that that would be good. Now, speaking of other transfer news, this is on the women's side. Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? No, when you wrote this up, I just just was reading about it. So this is pretty crazy. It's far out, man. They are making the women are making some major moves, picking up, they've picked up two people already, Stephanie van der Grach. From Ajax, um, a defender and one of Lika Martin's country women. So we get that, the Holland connection there. And Keira Hamraoui, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, from Lyon. She's a midfielder and winner of two Champions Leagues with Lyon. So that's good. But meanwhile, this is crazy. This is what blows my mind, is that there's been just a wholesale clearance on players going out. A lot of women who we've been talking about and covering this last year, Ruth, Laura Raffles, Olga Garcia, Lena Rodick, who actually never had any appearances since signing, so not so much uh, of a surprise there, Andrea, and Pearl Maroney. But Maroni was just on loan from Lyon, so we, we knew that that was going to happen. The end of the loan would come, and uh, they just decided not to... Uh, hold on to her or maybe there was never even an an idea of holding on to her. They're just, you know, giving her back to Leon. So it really looks like the women are making some major moves, looking to win the league, go further in the Champions League, maybe even win it or both because this last year they had a good season, but uh, the only silverware they went away with was the Copa de la Reina in May when they finally beat out Atletico at something.
0: This is crazy news for me because when I was reading this, when you were posting this in our notes, um, we had talked to Michelle Taylor from the Barca Women Twitter page And we were talking about, you know, the women's season, and she didn't really think that wholesale changes were going to come. Um, She just didn't think that was the the kind of the ethos for the Barca women. But here they have completely changed that. Obviously, upgrading the defense a little bit and also the midfield, and they still could make up some more moves. So this is very interesting to see. Um, Obviously, they're not satisfied with the season. They want to do more, so that's really great. You know, I think the other thing that's going to bring – better talent to this league is that the league has so many more games than any other league in in Europe. So I think a lot of women are going to be attracted to that venue that they'll be able to play more games. And it's just more um, mirroring the men's uh, schedule pretty much with the game. So I think that's really going to bring more talent into the league. But again, like we talked about earlier this season, I thought they had to upgrade the midfield and also get a, a better defender. And they've already done that with these two signings. So we'll see what else happens. And again, the board is is putting a message out there that they're 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 gunning for the uh, league and to go further in the Champions League as well.
1: Yeah, but with getting rid of that many players, I mean again, one of them was on loan, so we sort of were expecting to not have Maroni on the squad, so they were probably prepared for that. Uh Lena Roddick hadn't played, she signed and then she just never played, so she was kind of just uh dead weight, I guess on the squad list. But still, that's a uh, four four or five players who were playing a lot this last year, and we've only signed two. So we're still going to, I think, see some more signings happening. So, of course, we're always drawn to the uh, the big transfer news for the first team. And, of course, the first team always takes most of our attention and everything, but it seems like there's a, t- a real serious shakeup and on the women's side this year.
0: And then also, I think, you know, maybe they're going to also promote some of their players as well. Maybe that's what they're also doing is, you know, especially with, um, with her you know, she's, you know, she retired, right. It wasn't so much that she was uh, being pushed out, but the other three, you know, I can, you know, what, well, like you said, Lena Roddick didn't have any appearances. So that's just a non-existent players. So those are two players that we're not playing really this season. So obviously we're talking about Ruth and Olga Garcia Andrea and Baroni. So, like you said, four. I'm curious to see if they either do sign more players or if they're going to promote those players within to fill those gaps. But, like I said, I'm, I, I like the signings. I, I like when you go with a good, strong defender and also with a midfielder. Obviously, the midfielder of uh, Haromi's talent, you know, being on Lyon and having all that experience from Champions League is going to hopefully um, help the team. And maybe she's going to be the new captain and a leader of that team. She's quite a player. She's a tall player, too. So that's I think that's going to give us a little bit more presence on the field a little bit. You know, just having someone with her experience and her resume of winning, I think is just going to talk about that and lead that through example through the rest of the players who maybe not have that experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she'll be again like that experience. She'll be able to pass that on to others. Now we have a little bit of an announcement. Uh, This is related to our community projects and our FCB Camp Scholarship Fund. Uh, In case you don't know, together we and the Houston Pena raised over $1,000 this last uh, spring to send two youth players, brothers in fact, to the FCB camp in Houston. And the camp starts this week. Uh, Check-in day is actually today, Sunday, when we're recording. By the time you hear this, they will be starting the camp. So Oscar and Christopher are no doubt excited, I think. I hope they have a great week of training with Oscar official Barcelona coaches and of course next year we're hoping to get more penas involved in this campaign again and raise even more to send as many young players as possible to FCB camps all over the country
0: yeah this is really exciting I know they're going to have a great time uh I wish I could go as I <laughs> I wish I could have this experience of just playing one week in FCB camp um so I know no doubt they are excited and I'm, I'm really happy we're able to pull this campaign off and again next year we're hoping to include more penas and you know, send more players. And I think we'll be able to do that as well. Totally. Now you want to talk about
1: some, some world cup action. Yes. Let's talk world cup, baby. All right. I have a little thing before we really dive into the world (laughs) cup. Did you know, MLS is still happening. Like they're playing MLS right now. So who do you think is watching MLS right now with the world cup going on?
0: Well, there's two things. First of all, I hate the MLS. So let me get that out of the way. Right. I just, I hate the way they do this scheduling because they miss opportunities on this. And Again, and until they, as I always say, until they change the schedule to mirror the rest of the world as they're going from September to May, then MLS will be taken seriously around the world. But anyway, there are people who, especially like I have friends in Portland that go to the Timber games all the time. And so big fan you know, base they, in Portland. The Timbers yeah, have a lot of good fans. Yeah, exactly. Because there's no other pro sports going on. There's no baseball or anything. So a lot of people what who about the
1: trailblazers, man.
0: Yeah, but it's not basketball season. Oh, right. Right, yeah, so the people are looking for something to do outside. <laughs> They go check out these matches, you know, and if your baseball team stinks and you want to go see and your MLS team's doing better then they'll, they'll go see. So those are the people that are watching. And obviously they try to use the world cup as a, as a springboard for this, right? So people get excited for the world cup. They watch and they're like, Oh, by the way, watch the Timbers match this Saturday. And so they hopefully get more um, attendance that way. But again, I just don't like the MLS um, schedule. I think it's just, you know, how many players are missing right now from MLS teams, because they're playing the world cup 19 exactly and they're 19 <laughs> <Exactly> studs. 19. <laughs> 19 studs right 19 of their best players of mls are ha- playing in the world cup they know? have to be exactly yeah and so so those are the things like until mls changes that schedule you know to mirror the rest i think mls will be finally taken more serious because then only players will want to play because they're not going to miss you know game checks to play for the world cup or world cup qualifying. so anyway that's my
1: well My I Rick. think the MLS is more concerned with competing with other major sports in the US and I think that's their main thing and of course they're always they're cutting across various sports like you said the in Portland they have basketball but they don't have baseball right so right mm-hmm. now in the summer sports fans in Portland have that but you know if you're in LA for example where now you have they're just sick with sports teams right they got two baseball teams two basketball teams and for the first time in a while like the Clippers well, last I checked, the Clippers weren't terrible, you know. And now they've got two football teams back, and then yeah, now they have three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they sound so disappointed. Yeah. No, but American this, this football.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. But this is the thing. Oh, right, because the Chargers. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and so this is the this is the thing is that, like MLS, to attract, you know, stars from either Mexico or whatever, you know, um, from Europe, even that. No star player in their prime is ever going to go to to MLS because MLS doesn't mirror the schedule because it's just a conflict of schedule for anything else. So that's, yeah, I understand their business plan at the beginning was to not compete with American football. I get that. But now it's already been 20 years plus. You have all these MLS based stadiums. So they're not these stadiums that are 80,000 plus they're about 20 to 40. So they're very reasonable and they have a good crowd and they have good, um, you know, backing now that they can switch over. I mean, you're going to have to compete with American football for about five months, but at the same time, that's just the way it is. And then the rest of the year, you're you're fine. But you have these gaps following Premier League, uh, La Liga, and so forth. And eventually, if you can land those prime players when they're 25 coming to MLS, that's just going to make MLS
1: even better. Yeah, well, here's how I see it going down. Because right now, those 19 players who are in the World Cup this year, and of course, next World Cup, it might be... A few more, let's say the US gets back into the World Cup next time, it'll be a little bit higher. But even so, those 19 players, they constitute only 3% of all the MLS players there are. So let's say that the league gets better, they start getting higher quality players sort of more gradually from a more diverse selection of countries in the world. Then if you start to see 15, 20, 25% of MLS players playing in the World Cup, of course, they're going to go do that. And that's that does, in fact, benefit MLS to have those players in the World Cup on such a big stage and drawing more people in to watch MLS. And now I'm thinking in terms of 10, 15, 20 more years maybe. But if you get those numbers up to 15, 20, even 50% of your players are playing on the major international stage, you're going to have to change your schedule. But right yeah. now, they, they have no – I don't see, yeah, no, I, I don't I, see I don't. any motivation for them to do that.
0: I know, but also just think about these players are going to come back from the World Cup and they're not going to play right away, because they need a little bit of a break, right, from the travel and playing all these really intense matches. So again, these players are going to be missing from MLS games for about a month and a half, close to two months, you know. And so that's you know that's part of the problem too. I mean, I understand MLS's uh, you know goal at the beginning was to develop slowly and all this, but they're at a point now where they have to really start thinking about when they're going to change the schedule and also if they're going to start doing promotion or relegation.
1: Well, I don't see that happening
0: either. (laughs) They would really benefit
1: from it, but they're not going to
0: do it. I know, I know. And that's, I mean, again, those are the type of things to become a world league, you know, yeah. Um, these are some of the things that they have to really consider. And I know that it's a scary foresight, but you got, I mean, just think about all the things that happen around the world in other leagues with promotion and relegation, how tense that is, how good it is, um, you know all these different things I don't know I just
1: MLS still has a long ways to go for me to for me to even start following and watching it sure absolutely and another small thing is that most of those 19 players or at least a fair portion of them will probably be back sooner rather than later a lot of the countries they're playing for will probably not make it out of the group stage so
0: there's yeah, that yeah. as well
1: yeah exactly well let's talk about some actual world cup now um, since we last talked uh, we last recorded just before Brazil's first match against Switzerland, and so for me, Coutinho was really shining this past week because now we've seen two Brazil matches since we last recorded, and in that Swiss match, you know, the Swiss managed to draw, but that shot from Coutinho, I mean, it was totally his shot. For us, it was nothing surprising. It was right from his spot. But man, the way he curled that in was a killer.
0: Brian, I think I underrated Coutinho. <laughs> <laughs>
1: really? Because you were yeah. pretty excited yeah. about him to begin with. I, no, I, I am. But it's,
0: it's you know, when I talked to the guys at the Canarian Blue podcast, and they were really over the moon about Coutinho. And I was still kind of, I don't know, I wasn't as excited as they were. But now watching these two Brazil games kind of outside the bubble of Barcelona and seeing what he does, especially with that goal. I think I really did underrate him, you know? And wow, I mean, he is having a really good campaign. Obviously, scored. Um, the game winner against Costa Rica with a nice toe poke this match against Costa Rica, Brazil. Let's talk about that one on paper, you know, Brazil should kill them. right? Right. But again, these games are so intense. They've been building up to this, you know, planning for a month or so about the tactics about how they're going to do it. And of course, Costa Rica was playing for the tie. They were very close to getting that tie and, you know, Marcelo had a nice cross was headed down and Coutinho just came through the box and toe poked it. So he had that one. And again, the one in Switzerland, that screamer of a goal was just super nice. I mean, it's just like that's if you're playing FIFA, that's just like the setup, you know, the typical uh Coutinho goal. But that right. thing was such a screamer. It was so <laughs> sick. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I we haven't seen we've seen that we've seen him try to take that shot at Barcelona. We've seen him score with that shot from because Bar- that position uh is actually, yeah, right from the corner of the box and just sending it in he was actually a little bit further outside on this one i think but just again the the power and the placement behind it uh and i think i guess i might have underrated him a little bit as well uh because i didn't really see him as a a goal scoring threat but now i'm really starting to see him as a scoring threat and it's for us barcelona fans it's really good to have that threat from outside the box which we haven't really had in years that I can remember. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, no, it's true. And also for someone to actually look for the goal, you know, I mean, I'm really excited for this campaign for him. You know, this season he's going to be able to play champions league as well for us. But if we're talking about Brazil as a team, um, what do you think about Neymar? I mean, it's, you know, as we said, like I said, Coutinho's is underrated. And now I'm really kind of turning my opinion about Neymar more and more like after the Swiss game or after the Costa Rica game, He's crying, like yeah. what? <laughs> like, and then like the antics he does, like the dive, and and I don't know, man. Like, just more and more, I'm starting to really sour on Neymar. I don't, I don't know. What, what about you?
1: Well, I was thinking about this. The thing about watching Neymar play for me is it's kind of like, it's sort of like when you are seeing like a, an ex of yours. Like, if I'm seeing if if I'm going somewhere and I see an ex girlfriend of mine. it's <laughs> Like, I don't have anything against them, but it's just there's that weird sense of disconnection and yet connection at the same time. Like, we're, you know, we still broke up like not that long ago. It's still sort of fresh. But, um, I think Neymar is still an incredible talent, but I am starting to really be a little bit more thankful that he left Barcelona, mainly because of his, his, um, his attitude, his, yeah. his public persona, his – he, he's got some – he definitely has some really big ego things happening, and that's, of course, not uncommon with high-level, top-tier footballers. You know, ego things come into a lot of it, but I, I, I feel like we are – better off without him
0: yeah i mean the thing is is like he's crying after this game and it's first of all it's against costa rica and it's in group stage so i don't understand the outpouring emotion of this match i understand that
1: i can you know you can understand why he was crying yeah because he just that particular game was just it was a really tough game for him uh he was getting you know he's like the most fouled player in the world uh and they were really coming at him hard they were making everything really really difficult for him and, of course, he's. I imagine that he knows that Brazil has the talent and they have the skill and they're the better team and that they should win. And so he's probably thinking, like, why aren't we beating these guys? We should be beating these guys. But, you know, of course, he knows that it's because they're they're playing really physically, they're fouling really hard, and they're making everything really difficult for him. And, of course, you know, the the referee is, you know, not giving him the calls he wants, whatever, right? But so it was just, it was a really hard game for him. And the fact that... Okay, let me tell you a story. Because I see you shaking your head. Let me tell you a story. I once climbed a mountain. And Megan and I climbed this mountain together. It's not a particularly huge mountain. Uh, This was up in Tahoe. But I'm not a fit man. And we just thought, well, we're going to go on a nice hike. It'll be a nice day. And we started the hike. It was a little warm. I was wearing jeans. I was not well dressed. I wasn't well hydrated. I was not well fed. I was not ready for this hike. And instead of just a nice little hike, we climbed a mountain, and as we're escalating the mountain i'm getting more and more tired i'm in I'm in more and more pain gradually meanwhile, it's a beautiful place right the The landscape is gorgeous, and Megan is trying to soak in the natural beauty, and shes just is looking out on these vistas and these ponds and these you know outcroppings and things and just saying like, "Oh, look at that it's so beautiful." but I was incapable of appreciating it because I was in such pain and fatigue and i was just hating life right we finally get to the top of the mountain now megan and i are we're things are a little bit tense right because she's trying to have a nice hike up the mountain and enjoy the beauty and i'm just naysaying the whole time i'm just like yeah if you're into that sort of thing trees whatever (laughs) i was in so much pain but we get to the top and now i can finally relax and there was a little um an Olympic complex because it was a place where they had a winter Olympics once. So they go to a restaurant. So we go get some food and I'm finally sitting down at the, at the table. And I just physically could not control it. I started crying. I wasn't sad about anything. It was just my body. My body was just reacting to this experience that I'd been through. And, of course, this is not a, a fair comparison necessarily because, you know, Neymar is a, a top-level athlete. He can run for 90 minutes. He can play for 90 minutes. No problem. That's It's not an issue for him. He's a young guy. I'm not saying that the same thing happened, but I think there's some aspect of that to why he, was, he just broke down on the field after that game. It was just a really tough game for him, and he got through it, and they won. I'm shaking my head. I know you are. I see it. Because... <laughs> the biggest the biggest
0: difference between that and and Neymar thing is first of all it's it's not as though Neymar's never been hacked before in a match right right he should be okay? used to it at this point yeah he's totally used to it okay and he's played in so many big matches already okay so that's where the difference of your climbing the mountain experience like it would be different if you did this once every 6 months ill prepared every time and then you know okay then i would say this is a closer but the fact that Neymar has played in Champions League final. He's played in a World Cup before. He played a World Cup in Brazil, in his home country, where the pressure was even more, right? So for me, I just don't understand why, you know, he was cry- – because the thing is, I understand if they beat Costa Rica and they had to beat Costa Rica and then they advanced, I'm in. Right. I get it. You know, it's a very emotional, very pressure-packed. But again, they got the one point before, they beat Costa Rica – yeah, he got hacked, but at the same time, come on. Like, you know, I mean, people were overreacting. I mean, not overreacting. We're reacting pretty strongly on social media because it's just like, he's just over the top with this. You know, he can't, like, I don't know. Like you said, with the ex-girlfriend comparison, I get that. I, I think I agree with that a little bit better. But again, I mean, come on. Like, you should be able to withstand this. You're a top four player in the world. You are going to get hacked. This is what the the scouting report is on you. You just got to withstand it. You are the mainstay of the Brazilian team. You know, you're one of the top players of the world. Like this is, this is going to happen. So for me, I just, I just, I think it's just too dramatic. Gabriel.
1: Yeah. I think we need to get real for a second. (laughs) Why does Neymar crying make you so uncomfortable?
0: (laughs) It doesn't make me uncomfortable. I just, I just, I just can't stand This I don't know. It's like drama. You know, I understand sports. It's tough. You put a lot of energy. You put all your emotion into it. I mean, I've played sports my whole life. I get it. But at the same time, there's moments when it deserves to be crying. And there's moments where like this group stage against Costa Rica, where it's not diet, life or death. You know, it doesn't, you know, merit a crying stand, you know? I mean, Well, I don't know. I mean, I
1: I think maybe the stakes were a little bit higher than you're giving it credit for. Not because of the opponent, but because of the situation. Because they only had the one point from the previous match. They know that they really need to get three points from this match. So if they only get one from this match, then that puts them in a very bad position.
0: Yeah, but there was still one game. There's still one game left. So for me, it's not that, you know, and plus they got a point, right? So two points, three Three plus two, carry the one. <laughs> five points, you know, so they're, you, with five points, you usually should uh, pass through. So again, I, I don't know. I, anyway, let's talk about the Brazil performance. I, I think that they are a strong contender. I think they do have a good mix of the defense. Um, with the attacking obviously they played two tough teams that put basically 12 people in the box so i can't really say that their attacking is not that good i mean i'm i'm more curious when it's the knockout round when both teams have to play for something right yeah. um in these group stages it's just you just try to hold and get those points and try to move on like costa rica the whole match was defending really well navas had a good game but ultimately in that last minute they had a you know a mental lapse and Brazil was able to counter on that on those two mental lapses and get two points or three points from that.
1: Yeah. yeah. But I agree with you that I think they are looking like like a good contender. And that's fine. Uh I guess I'm a little tired of Brazil winning World Cups, but you know, it's that's just the way anything. of the world. Yeah,
0: but they haven't won anything since two thousand two. So it's not like they, you know, I don't know. I, I get what hasn't you're saying. Won but... since yeah, but I mean, come on. I mean, that's. I mean, Brazil. You know, I understand what you're saying. Uruguay right? like, has
1: not won since the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is
0: true. I understand what you're saying, but I'm just, you know, it's not as though. I mean, they're always they're just a perennially good team, right? right. So that's, you know, yeah, so. yeah.
1: Well, and that's the thing, and that actually would I think lead us nicely into talking about the uh, the really disgraceful uh, showing of Argentina against Croatia, because what the World Cup is so much about is is about footballing nations, right? Of course, teams come and go, players come and go, and every four years it's this really tricky thing. And of course there are these other tournaments in the middle, but of course the World Cup is the the showpiece. That's the one that's right in the middle of everyone's excitement. And it has a lot to do with this how you sort of try to build a narrative around your country as a footballing country. And right and of course we know that Argentina has this great lineage of creating great players. Uh, Not just Maradona, right, but a a ton and and Messi, of course, but they've only won uh, two World Cups, right, versus Brazil, who are the record holders with, what, five, six, you know, and that that kind of idea. So that's why, of course, Brazil is looking really good this year. Uh, I think I think they are even looking better than they did when they were playing in their home country last time, which is nice. But then again, look at Argentina. We know that they're a great footballing nation and yet. This year, man, in this game against Croatia was an utter disgrace. Just so disappointing. So I have a couple of things about this. It's interesting to me
0: because, you know, when Brazil, the last World Cup, when they got, you know, embarrassed, right, against Germany, 7-1 on their own home field, right? A lot of people were writing this is the end of Brazil, that they didn't have the federation, they don't know what's going on. And look at the turnaround they've done, right? They got a manager who is a new manager, but also had the balls, for example, to take out David Luiz. I think that was the major kind of direction that coach had to make, right? Because David Luiz on paper has always been the sexy defender pick, but he didn't take him. He took Miranda and Thiago Silva. So right there, it's, you're sending a message that we're, we're a different style. We're looking to defend well and be a better team. Argentina, from the top down, has been a mess for the last eight years, right? So again, as we have talked about in the last podcast, they needed a miracle hat trick from Messi just to qualify for the World Cup. And with Sampoli, they decided, okay, we're going to put our future in this coach. Fine. He's a good coach. I understand that. But the problem is he has no; he's not good at with the talent that he has, right? For example, in this Croatia match, who do you have on the bench? He had all the best players, <laughs> you know. Yeah. it's like what? Like for example, DiBala from Juventus. How is that guy not getting playing time? I
1: know. I'm shocked. I mean, he came in late in the game, and I just i I don't understand why he's not playing DiBala, starting him. Right. On the other hand, I'm I don't understand why Bilia kept getting caps in in this match. I was at least I felt good that Bilia didn't get the cap because I don't think Bilia is that great.
0: No, but also just I don't understand why, for example, you brought Higuain, just play him. He had a good season for Juventus, play him and have Messi be the playmaker, you know, have two strikers up there with Aguero, Aguero, Higuain, Messi. Boom, you have three guys. Now all of a sudden the defense has to worry about a lot of stuff that's going to happen, right? Yeah. And and I've been seeing a lot, especially on my my favorite podcast, ESPNFC, they were talking about the messy, uh personality of this. And this is – I have to agree with them. This is where I kind of wish, especially like in these last two matches, he had more of the personality of Ronaldo where that he – was fucking pissed right right like starts yelling at people because you can only internalize so much before you explode right serenity now and um it's just (laughs) and 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 in this match right he just looks so broken and just so out of it and so forth and for me it's almost at the point where i think this is going to be his last world cup he should just get pissed and just get angry you know because he's done so much He's carried this team, and Sampali has failed him with the lineup, the tactics, and so forth. And again, like you said, this match was a disgrace. They looked like a pickup squad, like you have written here. They totally look like they just went around here in Russia, and they said, are you Argentinian? Yeah. Uh, put on number eight. We're going to need you to play against uh, Croatia tonight. Yeah, like they were just
1: walking around the Buenos Aires airport, said, here, have a ticket to Russia. You're playing tomorrow. Go. Exactly. And they,
0: they've had no cohesion. They just look as though they've never played or they don't know each other at all. You know, they don't even seem they had a training camp and of course they had a huge mutiny after the game, right? Did you hear about all this? Oh no, I
1: did not hear about this. What's up, what's up with that? Okay, so
0: basically São Paulo is signed till 2022. Okay? Because they said, "We're going to ride or die with you. This is a project. You are our coach." But of course, in the first two matches, he's lost the whole thing. <laughs> he's lost the whole team and the whole World Cup essentially. Um, that, uh, basically, um, our favorite player, um, Mascherano led this mutiny essentially. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. He led it and he was just, you know, fed up with the whole situation with not seeing Iguain and DiBala most likely, you know, not getting starts and also just with the tactics and so forth that the AFA had to come down the president and try to figure out if they were going to keep him or not. But guess what? Sampoli has a buyout clause of more than 10 million. Whoa. Exactly. So So if they want to get rid
1: of him prior to 2022, the AFA has to pay him 10 million something more. I think, yeah, I think it's something astronomical.
0: So which to me is, you know, lunacy, because how do you have such a high escalating clause? Because, you know, with these national teams, you only have so many games to perform. You know, that's why it's so difficult in the World Cup. I mean, we've seen Germany, you know. Uh, this this World Cup not doing too well and you only have two or three games to show something and if you just have a bad run bad luck you're out as coach so why have such a high high clause you know and so now they're keeping Sam Pauli, but what I just read before we were recording uh, Mascherano and Messi are picking the lineup really <laughs> yes
1: oh wow <laughs> is that crazy or that what That is crazy yeah speaking of footballing nations right <laughs> That's a, I don't know, I like it, um, in a way, but it is definitely a, a kind of crazy and ballsy approach. But they're
0: keeping him as a coach, as a puppet there. Well, I mean, because they can't fire him, so right. it's just, of course, it's just you know, South American chaos at its, at its finest. Mm, you know, yes, it's just, you know, the AFA, um, has no real direction. I mean, in theory, it was a good idea to keep a national coach for that long. But you can't have a buyout clause that high where it's going to bankrupt the whole federation if you fire the coach. Right,
1: you have to have contingencies in place so that, you know, you know, best efforts aside and you know best intentions aside, you have you have to have a way out. You need a back door. Exactly. It can't be a ten million dollar back door or. Yeah, Whatever yeah, and honestly, using. Brian, I
0: can't, I can't remember the last time where I was impressed with Argentina's team play. Maybe back in 2006 or something like this, when they were playing and Messi was young and they had, you know, a quite good team with a good midfield. But you know, really, I, I used to, everyone just has the vision of Argentina playing really nice brand of football and being really good, but they really haven't done anything. I mean, obviously, they've gone to the Copa del America finals and stuff. But again, they should have been able to win one of those and they haven't. And man, I'm just really disappointed with the whole team as a whole. And obviously I just, you know, in this kind of situation, I want Messi to grab this and do something to be a, a leader and to really show emotion that everyone is feeling for him, you know, and, and he's kind of doing the opposite. And so, and and what's even making it worse is Ronaldo's scoring goals, right? Yeah. And Ronaldo quote unquote has a quote worst team, you know, <laughs> and, it's just, you know, come on. I mean, uh, Argentina and Sao Paulo have really let him uh, messy down this for this World Cup, definitely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Now, I did I skipped over for a second Spain versus Iran, but let's talk about Spain, Spain Iran, and Group B in general. I thought it was a pretty good game.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a good game. But again, it's. It, it, you know this kind of goes into the um Fernando Yero not having the experience right he totally changed the formation you know, i have 4141 four, one, you know it's kind of uh, again My fifa for me, app
1: was calling it a 4231 and i don't oh, think see? i don't think they really played it that way they were they were yeah. saying that iniesta was going to be like a holding midfielder or a defensive midfielder and it they didn't they didn't play like that at all.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, they had close to 80% possession. Um, But again, for me, it's Diego Costa. Like I know he scored another goal and and it was like a ricochet type of goal. Uh, But again, I just think he's always in the way. You know uh, yeah. that's just the way it seems to me, and I want to see, especially now that they've, you know, I I don't know, I just want to see them start with Rodrigo or Aspas and me see too. if there's any more fluidity with that because it always just seems, you know, we have uh, we Spain <laughs> Spain has Spain has good build up, you know, and then in that last thing it's like Diocosa Costa that they don't know if they want to give him a head ball or play at his feet, and in that indecision just kind of screws up the the flow of, of attacking, and again. I don't think Diego Costa is really that great of a header, even though he's tall guy. Like he doesn't really score a lot of head goals and he doesn't really have the footwork like Rodrigo Aspa. So again, I understand maybe against uh, Portugal, we need more physicality For, against Iran. I would have loved to see Rodrigo.
1: I think he would have been a much better fit uh, with
0: the midfield and getting
1: more scoring opportunities. I know. And it, it, every time Diego Costa starts, I'm a little bit disappointed, but not surprised because at this point it's become a, a really predictable pattern that Costa will get the start, and every time I'm just like... It's like having the thing up top, you know, from the Fantastic Four. He's just like a big... He's just like a man made of stone. He just moves so slowly, and he's got power, but he's got no finesse. And again, I I like the finesse. Now, here's another thing, because in the pregame, I want to ask you about this because of your place of habitation. Uh, In the pregame here on Fox, they were talking about... um, the selection of De Gea in goal. And of course he made that mistake in the first match and it cost them a goal. And so they were saying like, they were talking for about five minutes or so about, was it a good idea to put, to start De Gea? Is this okay? But I think it was something of a, a manufactured debate really. But uh, they were saying that it was the Spanish media that got that conversation started. Is that what you were hearing in Spain? No. Oh. I mean, I, I think, no, I mean, the,
0: they were just questioning about De Gea's you know ability in that match but I, for me De Gea is the number one oh, yeah. I mean, you got to ride or die with him right um you can't just make a switch to Keva because then De Gea is never going to be able to come back from that right. you know so again he had a shutout um obviously there was a goal that was ruled out thanks to VAR but um you know I think he had an overall good performance and De Gea is the number one so you write I mean goalies are going to make mistakes oh that was the other thing i wanted to talk about before we go into the spain the argentinian goalkeeper oh god yeah, that made i made that have... mistake oh my gosh dude i was that was the worst i was watching that i was like is this guy serious yeah and that's, oh my god okay anyway like that just was the downfall of that match right And croatia just toyed with yeah that them. was like the fuse I, you just
1: you, once that correct. was lit argentina was just gone There was no cohesion Uh, anymore. Exactly.
0: Croatia was like, thanks for that gift. We appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely think, for example, I think maybe the uh, Barcelona papers were talking about that, just bringing up a a point of debate. But for me, there's no question De Gea is the goalkeeper for the Spanish national team going forward. And, you know, yeah, he had that one mistake. But again, he had a shutout, and he'll probably just bounce back from that. He's been, you know, he's been a top-tier goalkeeper for so long obviously he's going to have a bad game like that, but he just shrugged it off and had a good game. So going forward, I think you just, you know, he's going to be confident with it and he won't, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have any mistakes like that again in this tournament. Right
1: now, as far as Spain's um, scoring capability, right. um, We've uh, that goal from Nacho in that first match, I thought was one of the top goals of the tournament so far for me, along with Tony Cruz's free kick in uh, Germany's last match. That, that thing just blew my mind, honestly, but, Aside from that, I don't see Spain scoring a whole lot off of set plays. And what's interesting is how many goals have come off of set plays in this tournament and how important it is, I think, to have some good set play training. So without that really like sitting in Spain's arsenal, because they, you know they like to play the ball. They like to score on the run of play. But again, these tournaments, these knockout-style tournaments, stakes are high. It always favors a team to play more defensively, especially a slightly uh, a team with a little less talent. Right. But so that means that set plays give you an opportunity if you're really good at them to get an edge, but I don't see Spain with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, just look at the short corner kicks that they do, you know, it's kind of that thing that they rather have the possession to have a better play. But again, there is something to better, um, you know, like you said, set plays like we were, we were watching the England match before we recorded and they had a, like I was telling you that on the third goal, I believe they had a really sick, um, set play developed where they kind of just, you know, they were one step ahead of the defender and they were able to get a goal from that. And, you know, for me with these national teams, because the chemistry can be off, right. I mean, we've seen, um, you can see a couple times I I was watching the Germany match last night where Tony Cruz had a bad pass because he thought the guy was going to do something and he didn't right? because that just comes with playing time with your, with your, um, with your teammates, uh, that set plays are something that you can always practice. As a national team and really have them developed and try to get uh, scoring opportunities. And like you said, we've been seeing more of those. Uh, what are you been thinking about the VAR in this tournament? What do you So been... far,
1: I'm pretty happy with it. I, I feel bad for the uh, the linesmen because basically their main job is to help with offside calls. That's most of what they do. And the VAR system has essentially taken them out of that debate.
0: Kind of. I mean, I for me, I've been really impressed with the efficiency of the, the plays that they've been able to call, especially with the penalties, right? You've been seeing now the penalties have been more um, stronger calls. There really hasn't been any kind of debate about it. And I like the fact that, you know, when the referee, like I remember I was watching, I don't remember what match I was watching. Um, the referee just looked at it barely five seconds, saw the handball went right to the spot. So again, not really wasting time, just confirming um, what they saw. So I like it so far. I think they've been doing a really good job. But, you know, like you said, with the offsides thing, There hasn't been many things with the offsides. It's been more about the penalty kicks being used for VAR than the offsides. So I still think the the linesman is going to be still valuable. But again, the World Cup just showing again technology at its forefront right using goal line technology and var together just seen because really that i mean people have complained oh it's going to slow the game down da, 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 well, da. that was but my no concern. it hasn't been.
1: but it yeah. hasn't uh they've really no. worked a system so that there because there's a room full of officials you know they got the var room which i think is funny because it kind of looks like war room but they've got the var room yeah. they've got the officials watching all the angles all the time so there's there's it's not like they're just out you know hanging out having coffee and donuts and then when there's a controversial call they call them up and then like oh yeah let me um yeah let me uh where was that (laughs) just pull that up oh
0: yeah because the the, yeah because yeah, yeah because the var room right they are able to look at angles before they buzz down and so i think that really eliminates any time lost, right? Because they're able to see if it's really a call that should be reviewed. And if it's reviewed, they buzz down and then he goes to look really quick and he's been able to do that very efficiently. So I've been very impressed. Um, I thought for sure they were going to have some technical difficulties or just you know whatever, but it's been very smooth, you know, so
1: far. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm really happy with how it it has not affected the 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 flow or the pace of the game, and I like how it's really helped with making good penalty calls. I just the only thing is like I I feel like the whole system might actually uh, make lines referees into an obsolete thing, but that's that's fine. But we'll see, you know, how it happens. I, they, I'm not totally clear on all the rules as to. When they can defer to the VAR room, when they can't, because apparently there are calls where they can't defer to them. I don't know; it's it's not totally clear to me. But yeah, overall, I like it. Yeah, I mean, for me, just
0: the, just having more confirmation on penalties, I think, is a huge thing because then there's no doubt, right? There's less talking points about shoulda, woulda, coulda. Um, I think. You know, to be able to review and call those plays, especially I think I saw yesterday against the Korea-Mexico match, there was a handball in the box and you could clearly see the hand right there. He went to the VAR, called it and then done. And there was there's no debate, you know, because they show the replay in the stadium. The player sees it, can't hide from it. So Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I like it. I did hear a couple of commentators saying that there were calls that should have gone that were, in fact, made or confirmed via the VAR that were still wrong. And of course those, they were talking about plays in other games that I wasn't even watching. And my, I just feel like, come on, man, you're, you're just interpreting the rules wrong or, you know, like you're, there's no way. <laughs> but I haven't heard of any, yeah. any real controversies yet, which is good.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing it's trying to eliminate is the, you know, should have, would have, could have. If that call was called, how is the game going to be, you know, in the future and so forth. So I think so far they've been doing a good job. And just to confirm right now, England just beat Panama 6-1. to one. Ooh,
1: Well, at least Panama got yeah. one. Good yeah. for them.
0: But really... But really good showing for England. I'm I've been really impressed, especially
1: in this match. They got a good young team, and I and I think they're going to go pretty far this this tournament. Yeah, I think they're going to go farther than they've gone in a while. All right, final thing. Uh, I so I was watching the Germany Sweden match, and I was starting to notice that is there is there is there a holders curse happening here? Right, because they were not looking great. Uh, they got first they got down a goal. Then they lost a player. They went down a man when Boateng got ejected. And then they got one back. And it really looked like it would end in a draw. But then again, like in, in extra time, that Tony Cruz free kick would be in contention for goal of the tournament, I think. Uh, and they managed to pull out the win. And uh, the commentary, of course, from one of my favorite commentators, Alexi Lalas, was that Germany are on fire. And I'm like, well, you know, take it easy. They kept their heads about them. They upped the tempo. Uh, Love made a really good substitution in taking off a defender. So he he already lost one defender through red card, and then he took another one off to put on an attacking midfielder. They raised the tempo. They got the foul, and, and Cruz took an amazing shot. But that so easily could have gone the other way. But anyway, I was thinking about how there was this kind of a specter of the holder's curse, and I checked it out. The last four... Last four World Cups, the holders have not done well. So in 2014, of course, I remember very painfully how Spain went out in the group stage. 2010, Italy were the holders. They went out in the group stage. 2006, Brazil were the holders. They went out in the quarterfinals, which is not that strange. But then also in 2002, France were the holders, and they went out in the group stage. So we've seen... First of all, an upset from Mexico over Germany, which was amazing. And apparently the story was that it, uh, the, Mexico was so excited that it registered on the seismic scale. It registered as a small earthquake when the entire country was jumping up and down, which I do not doubt. And even, even with these three points, I think they're still looking a little shaky. I think there's something to it, but I
0: just think it's more about the, the cycle of it, you know, that it's eight years, right? And so you're with essentially most of these teams had the same team because they usually don't lose that many players, you know, from that World Cup winning team. You just kind of interject a couple of players here and there. Most of them usually have the same coach, you know, like for Germany, for example, Spain, for example, I'm not sure about Italy at that time, but you know, you kind of have the same voice. And when I was watching the Germany match yesterday, the whole time I was thinking, man, the players looked as though they've been tuning out Yoki Low for some time now. They just, you see him gesturing and so forth and nothing's happening, yeah. you know? And some of the moves he makes, okay, sure. But man, Tony Cruz saved their ass yesterday. I mean, that goal was obviously a goal also, but Sweden, what are you doing <laughs> fouling there? I mean, it's just, I God, I just can't. Get over it because I like to see upsets. You know, I like to see, like, I don't have, you know, vested in in Germany at all. Um, I just like seeing Sweden kind of get that uh, point from there. Um, But again, uh, Mexico pulling this upset against uh, Germany was such a great uh, game as well to watch. It was wide open, good counterattacking. I also read that the coach had been preparing for that match for four months. Oh wow. Planning planning the tactics and so forth. And you could see, but again, I think there is something to it. I just think more than anything, it's, you know, if the coach has been there for two World Cups, it's too long. Like you're just listening to the same voice, you know, because you're also talking about with these European teams, the European championship inside of that as well. Right. So basically it's three tournaments, you know, and there's a lot of pressure, you know. You don't really, you know, you have the pressure from the country and you know, you want to do well and so I think there is something to it. I don't think Germany's going to go very far this this year. They just don't look like they have the the talent um, as they did back in uh, two thousand
1: fourteen. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how Sweden deals with Mexico and vice versa because Mexico they got that upset over Germany. Sure, uh, they beat South Korea, of course, but Sweden. I think that could actually be an interesting match. We'll see what happens there. But I do think that Germany's going to end the group stage with seven points and they will go forward yeah definitely and but i don't think they're going to go very far like yeah i don't
0: think they're going to go very far especially their defense looks ragtag so but um brian you know we're forgetting a major news item before we close the what podcast. is that today marks june 24th leo messi's birthday
1: yay so feliz
0: cumpleaños, feliz
1: cumpleaños leo, leo, <laughs> yeah so feliz we can't cumpleaños. we can't
0: you know forget to wish him a happy birthday the goat so hopefully he can pull something out of his ass against nigeria and do something epic but uh it doesn't look like it's going to be in the in the stars for argentina this world cup
1: well i mean like looking at their their group prospects I am curious to see how they play in the next match against Nigeria. I think overall they have more skill, but Nigeria has a lot of speed and they could probably just run them down.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we're going to see what, what lineup the training uh, team of Mascherano Messi pick for this match. So maybe, yeah, maybe they might spark team, you know, spark the team with their um, mutiny slash new lineup. You know, obviously I bet you DiBala and Iguain are going to start. I think I just, I, just, I, I hope just so. Go all guns blazing, you know?
1: Yeah just come out firing yeah
0: so yeah so one more week of group stages and curious to see what's going to happen my brackets already completely (laughs) thanks to thanks to mexico (laughs) man mexico they're the dark horse man they look pretty strong you know so there's some good teams again uh i love when it starts the knockout round because that's when it gets really tense and obviously we have to have a winner so i love those those matches but the matches so far have been really good so there's only been like maybe one boring game for me and other than that they've been all really entertaining
1: barca talk is written by gabriel quiroga and myself brian henderson editing and music is by brian henderson social media management by gabriel quiroga tell a friend about us and become a supporter of the show just kick in a few bucks a month at our website barcatalk.net until next time visca barca